special bulletin. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five, check for sound. Four, it's showtime. Three, let's two, go. One, You're listening to the Pro Audio Suite, a program for audio and voiceover professionals. And welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. Uh, we have a plug-in special this week and a couple of special guests. We have Michael Pearson Adams from Waves. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good. That's uh, an Aussie accent going on there. No, 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 mate. Born and raised in Florida. Oh, I see. I get mixed up. They sound so similar. Brisbane, Florida. Yeah, I'm a Brisbane boy. Brizzy boy. And we have Dan Gonzalez from Isotope. Hey, How everybody. are you? I'm doing swell, but the swelling's gone down. So. And where are you? I'm in, uh, I'm in Somerville, Massachusetts, uh, right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, I like his sense of humour already. He'll, he can stay. <laughs> uh, then we have the, the usual crew, of course, Robbo up in Sydney. G'day, Robbo. G'day. Uh, we have George Whittam in Los Angeles. G'day, George. Hello, everybody. And we have Robert Marshall in Chicago. G'day, Robert. Hello. Now, this week, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about plugins, and it's not something that I have any knowledge in whatsoever, only to say that I did buy one about two weeks ago for my laptop when I'm on the road, and it was the Sheps 73. Was it $29? It was. <laughs> it was indeed, as we say, death by $1,029 downloads. <laughs> I want to ask before we go further, just so we know a little bit more about our other guests, um, what are your positions at the company? What are your responsibilities? Starting with you, Dan, what do you do over at Isotope? So I pretty much all the products that you see in the MI industry, RX, uh, Ozone, Nectar, Neutron, um, Vocal Synth, all the products we put out that are more music production focused. I kind of oversee the production or kind of the making of those. And I lead the teams that build those products. So are you officially a product owner? Yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, and I said, we actually don't have product owners. We have product managers that um, share the responsibilities of product ownership and product management. So technically like I'll like do like day to day stuff that a product owner would do, but I also will do kind of like the road mapping and all like the strategic stuff as well. Michael down there at Waves. I am the director of education and training and the senior product specialist. Uh, it's kind of uh, anything that happens as a event where there's any kind of education or training going on is my area. Um, any school facility around the world is my area. And also I help train the other product specialists. All right, well, today you'll be slumming it with us. So Indeed. enjoy yourself. <laughs> if, you, if you want to see Michael's nude bonts, just um, what, tune wait, in. Wait, what? Michael's nude bonts. Head, that is head. Is, is that a bit ah. too Aussie? Yeah, okay. Thank yeah. you for the translation. If you want to see Michael's bald head, uh, just tune in to, uh, to YouTube, to any of the Waves instructional videos, and you'll usually find him on one of those, right, Gomez? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's like I haven't done one of those since 2014 yet. I still get people coming up to me at the different trade shows going, yeah, oh, man, I see you on the videos. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> mate, that's not me. Isn't it? Nah, mate, that's not me. That's my brother. <laughs> Good work. How did you get into it, Michael? Um, well, I started in radio in, in Australia 
and then left. Uh, I went the, the the normal route as a cart boy into uh, promos and commercials, and then I uh, was production manager of the RG Capital Radio Network and all those stations. Moved into the music industry, had a couple of number ones with a very annoying song for a very annoying band that I created with a business partner called Shakaya. In the uh, early yes. 2000s. I thought you were going to say a very annoying business partner there for a second. Sorry. <laughs> that, would be, that would be, no, that would be Scott Simon. Oh, uh, you know that guy. I know that guy. Scott. Nobody else Scott. knows that guy. Good friend of mine. So, um, moved over, my brother and I had a business. We moved over to America and I got contracted to work with Scott Stapp and Creed. Um, and then uh, made up my digital design called uh, uh, his mate who runs Waves and said, you need to pick this guy up. So that was 12 years ago. So I've been mixing records and working with Waves uh, ever since. Nice. Wow. We should, uh, we, should, we should get the Dan background before we move on then. How yeah, did you yeah, fall into, uh, into the plug-in biz? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, um, So I started... I basically got hooked into this world when I started uh, Berkeley College of Music uh, here in Boston, Massachusetts. I got a couple degrees there for music production, and then I started into uh, Cakewalk software. You know that that company? Um, they make yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I did yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I started there uh, working tech support, and eventually got into marketing. Um, then went over to Gibson when they were acquired by uh, when they were acquired by Gibson. Uh, did a stint in New York City working live sound um, for Live Nation, and then um, actually made my way back to Boston to work for Isotope, uh, take on product management roles. So, uh, and throughout that time, just doing like lots of freelance heavy metal mixing and just lots of kind of hard rock mixing here and there. So, um, yeah, just kind of a bunch of different eclectic stuff, but all surrounding plugins and mixing and engineering. So, um, yeah, I just kind of landed at isotope. Um, cause some of my buddies from, uh, university I went to college with ended up there as well. So it was kind of like a perfect fit. So yeah, kind of just right. got into it that way. Let's talk about the two businesses for a minute and, and my perception of them. And maybe you, you guys might correct me. I feel uh, like you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right, well, that's the end of the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, nice to meet you. <clears throat> um, my perception of Isotope versus Waves, Waves is the more musical side of plugins. I feel like Isotope is more a post-production with your noise reduction and your mastering suites and all that sort of stuff. Would that be a fairly accurate observation? Yeah, I mean... We think of, uh, we kind of think of music ourselves as music and post, um, but we definitely have like the, I feel like a good foothold in the post industry. So in, in terms of like name recognition, I would say we are very well known in the post market. I, I agree with Dan. Um, I mean, the, the Isotope's got some amazing plugins uh, in the in the post area, but they've also got some very, very cool offerings in the music area as well. It's got to a point where I don't think that there's actually, um, you can't really say that one, com- one of the two companies that we both work for, uh, you know, one area or in another area, we both cover a, a gambit of, of users. And one of the cool things to me about that is it just makes everything and everybody more creative. Totally it's interesting. If, if, I, if, if I was to say the word marvelous, uh, you probably know who I'm referring to. Yes. Right. Okay. So I watch uh, Warren's um, videos on his YouTube channel a lot. And one thing I've noticed is a lot of the old school engineers, particularly people who are mastering in music, are shifting 
in the box. And they were the ones kicking and screaming, but they've eventually buckled and they're in the box. How did you find it dealing with those guys who were pu- really pushing back on what you were offering? Um, from our point of view, what we started doing was offering what we refer to as artist signature plugins and artist signature bundles. And one of the first ones we did was with Tony Maserati, who's um, responsible for Alicia Keys and a bunch of other superstars. Um, And he was analog and then went into the box. And then the next one we did was Eddie Kramer, who's a good mate of mine and is the guy behind Led Zeppelin and everybody else. Now, Eddie was one of those ones who... Uh, some would say went kicking and screaming, but he actually didn't. Um, He saw the advantage of what you could do with digital and mixing digital and analog Um, and then slowly moved from there. Um, And then you've got people like Andrew Sheps, who, you know, is a classic mix engineer, has done some amazing records for some amazing artists. Uh, And now he works completely 110% in the box on his computer. So is there anybody left who's still working analogue? Yeah, uh, Tom Lord Algae. Uh, Michael Brower. Tom Lord Algae still got his SSL. Yeah, I think Michael, Michael Brower. Yeah. Yep, yep, very, Dan's right. He's very analogue. Steve Albini here in Chicago. He's very much an analogue guy. Um, Spike Stent uh, at East West in LA. Um, I mean, there's 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 a ton of them because, it, you know, it's like there's a sound and it's like anything else in this industry. When you know your sound and you know what you do and you know how to get that sound, you stick with it. I think I think a lot of the in the box thing has moved to a more um, the front end has still heavily out of the box. People are still, you know, getting their empirical labs, compressors or whatever their outboard gear is. But then just to make the process seamless and so that they can sort of, uh, you know, open a session, work on it. Things are much more on demand these days. It's just more practical to be in the box beyond um, just the power that plugins give when you're in a mixed context compared to tracking where I think a lot of the tracking stuff, I mean, probably the one company that's really pushed into the tracking area is uh, universal audio with their, with their sort of, you know, process it as it goes in approach with their, with their Apollo series. I did notice uh, uh, earlier in the piece, and this is quite a few years ago when in uh, post houses, when I was doing voiceovers here in Melbourne, that people were still investing in huge desks uh, that were automated, but they were certainly weren't using them. They, they just had, you know, like, active faders and uh, we're using Pro Tools in the box. But as far as the client was concerned, sitting there, they're watching the faders going up and down and lights flashing and they're going, ooh, this is wonderful. (laughs) So I know uh, there are three recording studios, active recording studios in Miami that all have uh, large format consoles. And every single one of those, I'm not going to mention them just in case I get in trouble, but every single one of those, they are using two faders. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Return. Stereo. Stereo in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as a, yeah. a mate of and mine. The, and the talk back button. Exactly. And as a mate of mine who owns one of those studios and one of those consoles, he calls his large format console now, he calls it the Instagram machine. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's, <laughs> right, that's right, basically right. all it does, ends up on Instagram. It's basically in selfies. That's all it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we spoke to um, Jeff Silverman a couple of weeks ago. 
and uh, he's pretty well working in the box, but we've sort of communicated after the show about a few he's things. He's totally in the box. Yeah. yeah, totally in the box. But he had a he had a Neve MC10, if my memory serves me correctly, which is a uh, a ten-channel desk with ten seventy threes, which he he had for years. I had an SSL four thousand G, and I loved my SSL, but it cost me about twelve hundred bucks a month in electricity. <laughs> oh, wow! Yeah, that's that's a large format console. I mean, an SSL like that is. I mean, it sounds great, but at the same point, as soon as we released the SSL series plugins, I saw absolutely no reason why I should spend twelve hundred bucks a month on freaking electricity. Right. Yeah, yeah. That talking about um, talking about working in the box now, George. You obviously have setups for a lot of voiceover talent, particularly in LA, but all over America and other parts of the world. What are the key plugins that you would uh, look at for um, voice talent? You know, voice actors generally need a very limited number of tools. I mean, um, almost less the, is more. <laughs> good ones. Yes. You mean good ones need okay. a limited number of tools. Good <laughs> ones. That's 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 a good way to put it. If you're yeah. a great voice actor and you have a great sounding space with good acoustics, low noise floor, um, you know, you have all the right tools in place. You barely need to touch anything. A little bit of compression, maybe some EQ if the mic isn't quite right. That's about it. They don't need much. Um, what I tend to be doing these days is I'm working with a lot of voice actors who are starting out. Um, or maybe they've been doing it for a while, but they're working from, you know, a less than amazingly less than amazing home studio closets <clears throat> and you know they're using whatever they have available to them and they come to me saying i hear you can make this thing called a stack or a rack or a chain so i'll build out that chain with tools that's going to get the best sound they can get out of that space primarily for auditions to help those auditions shine i say it's like you better you're better off sending out a, an 8x10 glossy than a polaroid for that you know we're using some we're using a high pass filter, sometimes a deesser, de compressor, downward expanders are very common for my chains. I almost always have one in there, um, and uh, some equalization, and uh, and then to top it off, usually at the very end of the chain is almost always some kind of a limiter, and uh, you know, so it's it's not crazy, but I can I'll, I'll set up a chain with five, six times, sometimes six plugins. How often does someone have a noise issue that they can't resolve and they try to do a real-time noise reduction a la rx or 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 x noise or something like that ns1 you know or or maybe not so much of an expander type approach but really you know like the get the fingerprint and and remove it how often does that happen you mean for uh for like a live session like a source connect isdn type thing or for like a record and send for well, well, for either, but definitely for like a live session. So someone who like might not have a booth, they have yeah. the quiet corner with curtains hanging and they're trying to remove everything in the room, but they've got a computer fan, something that's not horrible, but it's there yeah. and they're just trying to take the very bottom of the noise floor out and it's not going to happen with a expander. Yeah. Pretty rare. It's Honestly, in my world, it's very rare um, that folks are using real-time noise denoising tools in a production situation, you know, where they're trying to get away with it. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> rare. There, now, a few people do it as sort of like a sideshow, you know, because, like, they can get away with it. You know, I know a guy who was recording spots um, from the trade show floor at NAB, 
literally from the hall with no acoustic treatment, just like in the middle of the room. Yeah, using an 0416 shotgun mic and all that. 416. Yeah, that's right. Get it right. 416. Yeah, 416. I'm sorry. Yeah, 416-6. <laughs> that's what we call it around here. But it's no, it's pretty unusual. It's pretty unusual, Robert, to be honest. That very, very rarely happens. Yeah, I, I was just curious because I've seen um, a few, you know, you like sometimes you're on people's websites and you see their, their setup and every now and then someone's got like an open room kind of booth. I've seen a number of actually setups where voiceover talent decide not to have a booth in their place. And what they literally have is a nice dead control room. And if you're lucky, the computer's in the other room, but sometimes they literally have, they just have a control room that's dead and they have everything in there and that's how they do it. Oh, well, yeah. Some voice actors like a booth where they literally physically walk into another little room and then then now they're a voice actor. Uh, Bo Weaver is a good friend of mine and that's what he does. Um, he walks in there. Now I'm an actor. I walk out. Now I'm a, now I'm an editor producer. Yeah. Others like the radio feel, like Joe Cipriano and folks like him. Uh, all in one room studios. David Kay, I set up one all in one, all yeah. in one room. Um, so it's it's a challenge to keep everything quiet, but it's they love having just everything. It's kind of like being at the controls of a spaceship. Uh, yeah, and, and sometimes like those rooms actually sound a little bit better if they're because if you're comparing that to a literally a three by four booth. Yeah. Um, sometimes those booths get so tubby, it's almost better to have yeah. a nice bigger yeah, small room. Small booths are really tough to get sounding great. And when that next version of uh, Isotope or Waves comes out that can deal with uh, early reflections and shape yeah. the acoustical chamber of a three by five room, that's going to be a game changer. Actually, yeah. um, I can't believe I'm saying this in a recording. Um, <laughs> Dan, don't you, don't you have a deverbing plug-in at Isotope? We just released RX-7. Just kidding. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, no, in, uh, <laughs> no, seriously, though, early this week we put out we put out RX-7 and we actually released a Dialogue D reverb um, that uh, is pretty mind-blowing. Um, right now it's, uh, it's a pretty incredible module that basically can learn and interpret uh, the ambience around a Dialogue track and, and basically remove it. So if you're, if you're you know... The, the, the situation you were talking about earlier where you're like, I got this ambience, it's kind of tubby, it's got a long tail to it, or it's got these weird early reflections. Um, it will do a pretty astounding job at removing that from the dialogue so that it sounds much more dead and more upfront. We put that out. Um, it wasn't really in the plan for RX-7 <laughs> magically throughout the release like our engineers do. They just kind of come up with something amazing. And uh, yeah, they put it in, they put it in there and it just, it's blowing people's minds. So um you know, if you do get a chance, check out the trial uh, for it, and um, that's cool. Let me know how it works. Oh, for yeah. you. I'm actually going to go and download that after right. this. <laughs> yeah, because Robo, Robo, and I, uh, Robo and I met we actually yesterday and the day before we were together because Robo was down here in Melbourne, yeah. uh, working at the convention center on a Telstra podcast, and uh, we were having this discussion about where he had to record. It was yeah. so live, it was horrid, and he, he said, "Well, I wonder if someone could ever invent a plugin that would stop that." And there you've you go. Actually just, you've actually just saved the job I'm working on, Dan. Can I just tell you? I've, I've done that so so much with like a multi-band expander. I, I often use the C4 trying to just approach, just clamping down on on some yeah. some reflections. But it's it's usually very hard to, to deal with the early it's reflections. A- the tails you can kind of get at, you know. I had a bit of a stab at shaping a, a gate around it, which worked fairly well. Mm-hmm. And, and then the old trick of sort of, you know, just where it gets really bad, just 
pump the music up a bit more to hide it. <laughs> hide it. Um, and all those little tricks. So, so yeah, but uh, Dan, you've got a new customer already. <laughs> you may have two because I can tell you. Um, I, when I was away, um, when, I, when I go away, really, um, I take the, the Porter booth, the, the Harlan Hogan thing, but uh, the rooms inevitably, uh, if you're in a place that's warm, um, have a lot of hard surfaces around the joint and the floors are usually very hard. So you've got two things going on. One is the early, well, the kind of early reflection of the, the booth, yep. which gives that boxy feel, but then you've got live stuff bouncing in from all around you. So it's it's a real issue. And uh, you end up with, you know, bath towels over your head, pillows <laughs> on your lap, you know, anything to try and block any, uh, any of the reflections coming back in. Yeah. Do you have a photo of that? <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> There's lots of photos. If you if you just yeah. if you just Google like voiceover person in hotel room, you'll see all kinds of insanity. Oh <laughs> People flipping mattresses up in the corners and yeah. putting chairs on. Like a favorite one is putting a chair on top of a table and then hanging the duvet over the chair and putting your mic underneath okay, the chair. There you go. There's a word that doesn't happen in this country very often. Duvet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, nobody in Florida knows what the hell a duvet is. I'm Probably sorry. too hot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he lives in Chicago. He needs more than just one duvet. But, but uh, there's um there's another company. I'm I'm not even sure their name, so I can't mention it, and I wouldn't anyways right now. But um, they they have a different approach to noise reduction, where they basically say instead of trying to remove what you don't want, we try to listen to what you do want and enhance. Are you that. talking about cedar? No, not not cedar. This is a. Um, uh, Cedar's got some amazing front end, like single ended stuff. Their ability to remove, say, rain is pretty pretty cool. Um, no, this is a. I'm trying to remember. It's it's a plug in company. It's it's not Cedar's more hardware and plugins. You know, is it Acusonus? Mm, I think I think their other thing was trying to do because it comes back from the whole thing where they're trying to do the uh, sort of unbake the cake thing, like remove uh, a vocal from a mix. Melody. Not Melodyne. Oh, Definitely yeah. not Melodyne. It's yeah. uh, audio. I think it's, audio I want to say it's audio nap, but that's like Dante or something. Nope. something that's audio, that's, that's audio nap. Uh, yeah. Don't know then. Sorry. But it's, it's an interesting approach because usually the approach is what do you want to get rid of? And this is what do you want? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that Cedar does, um, and we worked on trying to replicate uh, with a plugin called WNS, is mm-hmm. noise suppression more than noise reduction. Hmm. Um, It's a different approach to isotope. Both of them have completely different uses. Uh, And that, again, comes back to the same old thing I said earlier on, which is we don't really compete so much as sit happily in a market where there's quite a lot of people using plugins and everybody has a different tool for everything else. That's a great plugin because it's so fast. If you're just looking for something really quick to throw on a channel and get some quick noise reduction out of, the, the NS is... It, it seems to me to Not be Not NS1, WNS. WNS. There, yeah. There's a couple in that series, right? Am I? There's WNS, uh, which is... Uh, One's got I a couple faders to it. Five like, faders. Like, yeah. NS, five and bands, then there's yeah. NS1, which has one fader. One fader. fader. And the, I, so, so mm-hmm. the one with five faders, it seems to me to be somewhat of a approach of a multi-band expander. 
It's a noise suppressor is what we call it. Um, So there's a suggest button. You uh, Mm -hmm. listen to all the frequencies and then it goes, okay, well, these are the consistent uh, frequencies that we don't think are anything to do with what you're actually recording. So we're going to suppress those down and try and keep hold of exactly what you want. Yeah, it's very Mm. fast, which is nice. You just throw it on a channel. Yeah, and and you throw it on a channel and you can get very fast results because you're just kind of pushing a few faders up and going, no, not so much of that, a little bit more of that. That's good. Oh, the voice got too thin. A little bit more bass, nice. and then and then you have some you know some reduction in the no, in the noise floor. It does work very well. I will try it out. Yeah, it's, it's what cool. Plug, what plugins are you using, Robert? Me? Yeah, um, it's someone. <laughs> yeah. So so a lot of what we use actually for portability is we do tend to stick a lot with just the stock digi plugins um, because that way you can open up that session anywhere and you don't have to worry about what do you have and well, I don't have that and blah 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 so for the long term that's great um, but we, uh, we, we've got um, a mercury bundle and we, we use the um, the 360 <laughs> is a you know for the multi uh, multi-channel limiting um, I love the c4 i can't tell you i use it for everything it's like an eq it's a compressor it's a deesser it's a noise remover it's whatever you want it to be when you need it so it's a great thing to have on channels it's very flexible for me i do like using the um what's it called the true verb you know going way back in waves history and the reason why is because i find often when you're doing adr and you're trying to emulate not a reverb, but a room. And you're looking at some guy standing in a room and you're like, what that room be like? And you just turn off that big, long blue tail on the whole thing. And you just play around with the early reflections on it. And you can kind of um, quickly get a nice emulation of a room when you're trying to replace somebody. And it's not as, it's more flexible than a impulse reverb. Um, which which is more takes more time to set up and get impulses that might match more precisely, but a lot of times in post, sometimes it's more about speed than, you know. Can, uh, can I throw out there? You should probably it, have a look at the H reverb, which I've actually. Or is it H verb or H reverb? The, it's, the hybrid. It's H verb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's which part I, of the hybrid series. The thing about H verb is it actually took us fifteen years after the release of True Verb to come out with that plugin. Um, H reverb is a beast. It's a it's definitely DSP hungry, but um, you're absolutely right. It's like Trueverb is is such a great consistent plugin, and pretty much everybody has it. Especially now, since um, if you know, we took the gold bundle and made it a hundred and twenty nine dollar US bundle. I paid so, fifteen hundred bucks for that a long time so ago. Did I. Yeah. So did I. <laughs> um, That's right. In fact, yeah. more to the point, I paid. I paid. Uh, I think three thousand. <laughs> I paid ten and a half thousand dollars for my TDM Mercury bundle in two thousand five. Right, and now it's like three grand or so. That's right. But so. but I, I'm on. I'm still running Pro Tools ten, and so a lot of the nice, a lot of people are. Yeah. So so I, I'm not sure that H Reverb's even an option for me, and also you tend to use what you know. I've been you know using Trueverb for. 20 years now and I just click 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 know what I want to do say that because what happens with the mercury bundle is a, a, a perfect example uh, if I might hog this for a second there's a recording studio a post-production studio in Detroit called gold sound and mm-hmm. yeah, Brian by, is a great guy Brian's yeah Brian's a good friend of mine mm-hmm. and he rang me drunk one night around <laughs> 11 o'clock and said I just did something silly I said what did you do and he says I just bought a mercury bundle for every single one of my rooms 
He had 13 rooms. Um, <laughs> I think he's down to four. He's down to four. Uh, yeah. That's that's a sign of the times, not yep. not his talent. No, no, no. Um, yeah. So he had 13 rooms with 12 of them with DigiDesign icons in them and 13 Mercury bundles. And I flew in and I trained all the guys on them. And they'd gone from gold bundles to Mercury bundles, which is about, uh, at that point in time, was about 80 extra plugins. I went back six months later and they were still using the same the five or stuff. six plugins that they were before they had got the Mercury bundle. Because That's people, me. Use, people use what they used to. Yep, because because yep. the 360 bundle is so expensive, and you start looking at things, you're like, oh, I'll just get the gold. I'll just get the bigger bundle because I like need that. But for this much more, I can just get the whole pile. You know, just, just sneak right. up on it and buy them at twenty nine dollars each. Or should I say, I noticed fifteen dollars, twenty nine dollars plus one dollar for the next plugin. Yeah, yeah. that's not going to last. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it's finished by the time this goes to air, so we don't have to worry about that one. I actually want to steer the conversation away from actual plugins for a minute. I want to talk about iLocks. Can I just say, as much as I like my Waves plugins, you've pissed me off that I can't just grab my iLock and run to the next studio or stick can it I, into can my I say laptop something? and move my job. <laughs> so so yeah, go, I'll, I'll add something yeah. in right here from, you know, put on the Source Elements hat. Waves was such a big target that when those guys would set their sights on, you know, taking Waves down... And then they would take the whole iLock community down with them. It was actually a little bit of a relief because you guys have a big target on your backs. Let, let me explain. Let me explain my frustration first, and maybe you can sure. answer this at the same time, Gomez. My frustration is that we were talking about this job that I actually got home from last night. I've been away for three days down in Melbourne recording back of stage stuff and and interviews and all sorts of stuff, right? So my main Pro Tools rig is here at home in my project studio but to do that obviously i grab i've got an mbox pro and i grab my laptop and i run down to melbourne but here's the thing i grab my iLock but then i've got to remember here to transfer my waves plugins back to the cloud and then when i get to melbourne reinstall them in advance. can't you just comments. put them on a jump drive too well you can but then i've got to remember that too like, why, can, why can't we make this easy for me? I grab my iLock, everything I need is on there, and I go. You know, it's, Robbo, it's, uh, I've known you for a very, very long time, and I need you to understand that there was a board meeting probably about five years ago where we actually all sat around in Tel Aviv going, what are we going to do for Daz? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not just me. <laughs> it's it's like it was you know the um, you guys were right. It's like we have a huge target on our back. Um, we were at one point in time one of the most cracked software companies in the world. I would second that. <laughs> yeah, it it takes it takes a really really big hit, and you've got to remember it's like we want to support the music industry, we want to support the post production industry, we want to make people more creative, but we also have to survive. Um, Pace uh, and us didn't really work well together, so we had to find an alternative that would work better for us going forward. And initially it was called the Waves License Center, WLC, and then we moved on there to Wave Central, which is a smart installer plus a cloud authorizer. But it's, it's like at the end of the day, it comes down to the simple fact that we had to work out a way to survive. And it's a lot harder to crack 
what we do now than it was back then. Um, and that's because we moved in a different direction. I'm sorry it's upset you, but it's um, to, to me. Yeah, to me, this is really interesting because you guys have the gunpowder to be able to do that. I mean, that technology is like, well, you know, you've, you've got a whole nother product there if you wanted to for a smaller company like us. Um, we need companies that are third party like iLock to be able to do that because there's no way that we have the sort of military type intelligence to, you know, get into encryption the way a company like iLock is. Or, you know, you guys obviously have a whole fleet of um, really smart guys who are able to, you know, create your own environment of protection. But it's it's a really needed thing, you know, for the companies. Think, uh, thank you. I think one of the things that, and, and Dan will agree with this as well, I think a lot of people don't realize how much work and how much time goes into what we actually both companies release. Uh, I, I know of two plugins that are about to be released in the next six months that we've been working on on and off now for the last seven years, two of them. Wow. Um, and they've, they've come up, they've gone back again, different teams have worked on them, we've said no to the release, et cetera, because we want everything to be top-notch. As far as the cloud authorization and everything, that took years as well, and it's still, everything is a work in progress. I think one of the things that happens with software is there's never so such a thing as a really final product because everything's constantly updating. You have to update everything all the time. Um, it's a challenge and you can't keep everybody happy, but it's like, well, as George said, it's like we've, we've got a target on our back and sometimes you have to be the company that makes the decision that initially will piss people off, but eventually it'll go, ah, oh, well, okay. You can never please everybody. It's, uh, it's, no. it's very, very true. You can never please everybody. I, I think it shows your value, though, too, when people are willing to move with you and say, OK, it's a little bit more painful for me, but these tools are invaluable to me and I will take the good with the bad, essentially. Well, so I mean, Robert and Dan, I mean, Robert and Dan and probably Dan even more so. What's your experience with piracy then? I, I, I've got a funny story. So <laughs> yeah, go. I'm doing tech support and got a customer who whatever when 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 you do tech support you do a lot of screen sharing and so one day uh helping this guy with source connect and on his desktop is a very funny looking installer for source talkback and i'm already into his account and i know he doesn't have it and i'm like hmm what is that so while we're doing the tech support i move my mouse over to this thing and i try to click on it and the mouse like moves <laughs> i'm like mm, okay now now my interest has peaked and later on in the tech support session, I'm finally able to get over that thing, double click on it, and boom, you get talked back with a crack, with the, you know, the, the classic bracket K thing. And uh, I just kind of said to the guy, I probably, I don't know if I lost it, but I just said, you know what, I should just end this session right now. And, and the guy comes up with a story about how he's got all kinds of freelance engineers in the studio and he doesn't know what people do and he's so sorry. Hateful. And, 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 you know, I'm thinking, well, not really, because obviously the mouse wouldn't have disappeared off the icon the first time if you didn't know what that was. Um, and it, it's everywhere and you can't avoid it. And the one thing that you got to hope is like, to some degree, it's maybe a little bit good in that it gets your technology out there, it gets your name out there, you get a lot of people using it. And so that's maybe the only good thing you could say about it. But other than that, it's a killer. And it's demoralizing too. Isn't it the um, highest form of flattery? 
No. <laughs> no, it's just demoralising. It's theft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Dan, what's what's the story with Isotope? What what are you? What measures have you got in place? We have iLock authorization that we we allow our users to authorize with. We also have an internal uh, just server authorization that you can do inside of your inside of your plugin when you buy it. So, like, you sign into your account and that just authorizes it to your computer. So, we do we allow our users the freedom to do both, um, mostly because. We don't want to lock our users down to like one specific uh, way to authorize, but we always we always have an authorization. We even have authorization in our free products as well, um, just because you know we don't want software out in the world that isn't authorized on someone's computer. So like we even we'll even put out a serial number for a free product. Um, you guys remind me of what happened at Cakewalk when I was running when I was working there. Like I remember we would treat like people who had pirated software just so badly <laughs> like like it'd be one of these things where it was like you're you're you get a serial number and because of and this is a cakewalk not an isotope and you know you talk to this guy they supply you the serial number you'd look it up and it was clearly on a list that was like tagged as this is piracy right and and in, and in the middle of your conversation the the play was do whatever you want you can talk to him as long as you want but um, if you want to get out of it, there's this like forwarding that you can send them to <laughs> and you just, and what you would do is you would drop the phone and they would get an automated message. Like we had detected that you are using a pirated piece of software. Please don't call back or something like that. It was like the most passive aggressive way of dealing with it ever, <laughs> but it was, it was kind of interesting at the same time. It was, it was a very weird way of handling it. I ended up giving this guy full support in the end. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I, I felt like it was, you know, it's like, it's not great to get bad blood with anybody, unfortunately. And I just yeah. sort of let him know. But what's funny, I, I know when, when I was programming our phone system, there's a thing called the torture menus. <laughs> <laughs> you can send someone to like phone purgatory or something like. <laughs> I think I think all government bodies in Australia have those torture menus on their telephone services. <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, I have a fun- I have a funny story literally about cracks from last week. I was in Los Angeles and I was doing a networking protocol training at Apogee headquarters in Santa Monica, and. This guy stands up from the back of the audience. He goes, I got a question. I said, yes, what, what is it? So he goes, what's the price to upgrade my crack of the gold bundle to a mercury bundle? <laughs> That's ballsy. You actually need to pay three times now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty ballsy. First, sir, you need to pay. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you need to pay list. Yeah. Right. It's, wow. it's yeah, yeah. All the twenty nine plugins, not for you now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, certain countries are a little a little worse than others. Like I can tell you right now, like we you know, we have a we have a sense of this is like what our most what countries use our products the most, you know what I mean? Or like where our products are used the most. And towards the top, there are some countries that we just don't sell our plugins in. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like but we don't even have a dealer there or a reseller there. So, oh, it's a crack. That's why. And everybody's got the crack. It's kind of crazy. It's like, wow, we see this. It's like a statistic. That's incredible, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really weird. You know, it's hard to look at because it's like, would these people have bought it? Maybe. Would they not have? Maybe. You know, it's... I, I think I think a lot of them would not have, to be honest. Yeah. I'm kind of a big believer that, um, especially when you're talking, I mean, we, we have over 180 plugins now at Waves. Um, and there is no excuse, there, there is no reason for the excuse, I can't afford your, your products anymore. And most companies, you know, us, Isotope, McDSP, all of us, it's like we're very, very flexible with our pricing. So, 
I look at people who say, oh, well, you know, I can't afford it now. And then you see it. And, and the giveaway here is when somebody walks up to you and this is, oh, I love your plugins. Oh, cool. Which bundle do you have? I oh, know everything. <laughs> you guys have started adopting like business models that make it more accessible temporarily. So, I mean, you guys have wave subscriptions. I believe you guys just launched yeah, a waves got, rent. Yeah, we've got two subscriptions, one for the silver and one for the mercury bundle. You guys have a really um, cool one where you can subscribe to it and then over the course of a year you own it we have a rent to own as well and i I forget it's like the flex plan is that right yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely that's that's a cool one it is a cool one but that but but the thing to me is just before i finish it's like a lot of these people i kind of don't think that they would have bought it in the first place because they these are probably the same people who you know say for example i spent a year away from avid i mean from waves at avid i call it my 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 internship um and i was one of the the pro tools hd specialists when hdx was launched and pro tools 10 was launched pro tools 10 was was hacked and cracked off the iLock within one day of release i believe it I believe it. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was Pro Tools 9. I, I, that was, I, no, it was Pro Tools 10. And, wow. and, but, but the thing is, it's like when you realize that there's people out there who are that quick and they realize there's that much of an effort, then, you know, there's always people who, who are not going to pay for it. Yeah, well, a lot. Of, unfortunately, I know early on, a lot of the conduit in was the beta testers, unfortunately. And, and there would be a lot of... Um, you know, that's how things were released like day of and they come out cracked and not cracked because I, th- I think I think early on that was a, a thing. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny when you look at the history of Pro Tools. I believe that one of the biggest benefactors of the cracks was actually Digidesign because early on in the mix days, it put so many plugins out there that I think people often went like, well, hey, I'll buy the hardware now because... Look at all. No, this. you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's like, and I think it's um, it helped a bunch of different companies in a way because it, it, you know uh, Excel cards on the mix system was so prohibitively expensive back then. Um, I mean, McDSP. Uh, I think. I think. I, I don't think many people realize that Colin McDowell, who owns McDSP, was the guy who did the first EQ two and Dyn three in Pro Tools. Yeah, didn't he do the Focus right too? Yes, he did. Yeah. He's great mind. Yeah. And Nayrink is another, you know, um, ex avid guy who, you know, went out and made his own stuff and also Massey. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of guys who came from, from avid and sort of started their own companies. What's on the horizon without giving away any company secrets? Well, what, that's all from me and Dan. We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what have we got? What have we got? What have we got to look forward to? In, just, I mean, in general, in general terms, with plugins, where are we headed? What's next? What's the What's the next latest and greatest thing that's going to happen on the horizon? Do you reckon, Dan? Uh, well, I'll give you a hint. We've been um, We've been pretty vocal focused this year um, with. Vocal Synth 2, Nectar, Elements of Re-Release. We have a bunch of dialogue stuff that's an RX. So I think you're going to see one more nod at the whole vocal plug-in uh, kind of genre before the end of the year is out. So I'll say that much. Um, we're very excited at what's coming up. That, that one's not locked down yet, um, but definitely some more vocal stuff coming coming the industry's way for sure. Are, are, we, are we done with the emulation craze or is there still more emulations to come out in the in the world? I think if you ask UAD, they probably are like, well, no. yeah, tons of stuff yeah. <laughs> left to go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, Dan, when you talk about vocal, I'm, I'm assuming you mean as in singing, or are you thinking more of 
the human voice? Um, well, we just put out RX, so that's uh, that's kind of a big one. So I'm, t- I'm talking more about singing and uh, just music production, vocal production. Um, so yeah, we got some big stuff around the corner for sure uh, in regards to just kind of music production and singing. The only reason I say that is because uh, I was talking to a very well-known microphone company only a week or so ago, and uh, and their focus has always been on the music industry, and I threw some figures at the guy and he was kind of blown away how big the voiceover industry is Mm. globally in fact particularly in north america where most of it comes from anyway and it's growing rapidly i think they're predicting an 18 percent growth per annum uh, up until 2020 wow um the figures i got were four years old and the voiceover industry and this is like everything to do with voiceover so it could be agent commissions it could be studio post whatever but it's all connected to voiceover was worth $3.2 billion. I'm not getting even a slight part of that. <laughs> God damn it. It's happened to me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. So that's, that's more in uh, like inclusive of, you know, like session fees and hiring and studio time. And it's, it's not all on the, you know, technology side of it and microphones. It's, it's the whole industry. It is, but but, uh, there was another figure that was thrown in there too, and this one I I, I can't prove. It was just a figure that was thrown around, but they say in Southern California alone, there are 250,000 people who claim to be voice actors. Wow. George, you're in the right place. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. George Enterprise, you can see it now. There'll be a a blimp flying over Hollywood with George the Tech. Uh, Boy, I hope I'm not, you know, hurrying the race to the bottom. That's all I can say. So go, on that note, Gomez, I've got a question for you that's just occurred to me about all these um, producer plugins, let's call them, that you guys are doing at the moment, like the CLA range, Maserati. Artist Signature. That's the one. I, 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 I've played around with some of them. In fact, I've actually bought a couple just because I wanted to have a look and a bit of a play. Um, I think it was the CLA Vocals. Would that be it? Yeah. Um, and cool. one of the Maserati yeah. ones. Can't remember. Anyway, but I just wanted to play around and sort of see how they worked. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Waves trying to appeal to that sort of market that Andrew's talking about? Like 250,000 voiceover artists, let's be honest, you know, most of them probably aren't getting a lot of work. No. And probably don't really understand the craft of being an audio engineer. So is that the sort of niche where Waves is going with those and are we going to see more of that sort of stuff or is, is there another use that you see for it? Um, can, I, can I jump in actually really quick? Yeah, sure. That CLA plugin, I I know um, an, an engineer who's got a platinum record who basically was like, yeah, I'll use that. I've used it. It's quick. It's great. Gets me what I need. Really? Right. I don't think it is a, a, a low end. I don't know what I'm doing kind of thing. So I, I need it yeah, all set I'm up for me. I'm not trying to say low end. I, I, I don't mean, sorry. And I, I don't mean by saying that low end. <laughs> I was trying to get more to the point of like ease of use. Like I, I don't have to understand compression. I just slide a fader up and down. Right, right. You know what I mean? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. One of the things that we've found in, the, especially on the music side of the industry is there is a huge percentage of people out there who have uh, digital audio workstations, microphones, make their own music, or in some case actually call themselves, uh, God help us all, a producer um, who don't know how a compressor works, how an EQ works, what high pass or low pass is, etc. And it's very, very easy for those people to dig themselves into a hole that the only way that they can get out of is by deleting all the plugins and pressing control Z and starting again. One of the things that we wanted to achieve was giving people more of an instant sound. Um, 
And, you know, he was right. It's like, I mean, it, uh, firstly, yes, we do have a ton of clients who really don't know what they're doing and use those a lot to great effect. But we also have um, the guys who actually have their names behind them. Perfect example. I did a, a masterclass in Los Angeles at East West uh, Studios last week with Greg Wells. Um, Greg Wells has his own signature plugins that he's worked with us on, but he uses them. Um, if you listen to any of the songs that he worked on in the, the soundtrack of The Greatest Showman, you'll hear the effect of five, uh, three, three of his plugins on the vocals and the, you know, the lead vocals of those songs. Because um, what these guys do is they get given the chance by us to actually create a plugin that is what they would want if they were looking for something to get a certain fix of a certain problem. Um, the other side of it is with people like Eddie Kramer, what we've done is we, we literally, we, we make an attempt at modeling the chain of hardware dash plugins because it's usually a mix of both that they would use for a specific kind of tool. And most of these high-end engineers have a go-to sound. So Eddie Kramer's was a mix of hardware units and vintage hardware and plugins. So as was Tony Maserati. So was Chris Lord Algae. Um, Greg Wells and Butch Vig were you know, a different kettle of fish, but we'll never tell people what's actually in them you either mm. like them or you don't like them. If mm. you don't like it, then you try another one. But, um, yeah, it's it's ease of use and it's a great sound um, for a lot of people and, you know, they're quick in the report. Is the Butch Vig the one, the clock-like one that's got all the little dials? That's in Maserati. The, that oh, Butch Vig? I th- I totally, yeah, totally. No, no, st- totally steampunk. Oh. Butch Vig's, and one of the things that we do is when we, when we go into these projects with these guys, we'll actually send them a questionnaire about what you like, what you don't like, what colours you like, what your favorite and they'll send us in a mishmash and a scrapbook of pictures colors text etc and then we let one of our marketing graphic designers work with them to actually make a plugin that looks wow. like they want Very it to nice. look it's pretty cool I, I i think it's pretty cool how about how about you dan how where does isotope sort of pick up its next latest and greatest idea uh we just so something that we do is we talk to our customers a lot um, like we really, we really do have a pretty immersive, um, I, I guess you could call it user experience testing that we do on, on all the time. We always have our hats on. We're always looking at stuff from the perspective of the users and we're always trying to go where the puck will be. Um, so like, for example, like we, we came up with this idea for, uh, actionable visualizations, uh, and, um, you can see that in some of the latest plugins that we put out recently. Like we put out this plugin called Tonal Balance Control. We put out something in Neutron called the Masking Meter. But um, there are kind of visualizations that are actionable to help people inform how they would EQ something or how they would make a mastering move or how they would make an EQ move to better uh, make their their music sound uh, less, uh, remove masking issues or uh, eliminate that kind of translation issue that everybody has where they get into their car and they're like, why does my stuff sound so bad in comparison to everything on my <laughs> iTunes list? What the heck's going on? So we try and we, we try and talk to our customers and really go after those like workflows and those like unsolvable things that um, somehow our, our, our uh, magicians and our engineer teams uh, figure out. So just ca- talk to our customers a lot. And then we have pretty exhaustive like testing that we do 
Um, we always try and play up the like the scientific thing in our marketing and like on our UIs, but it actually comes from within too. Like we're very sciencey and data driven, so we're always like going after that. It's a part of the culture, I guess. So it's interesting. Well, we talk about science uh, driven. Um, one of the issues that uh, us voiceover chaps have is that we work mainly from studios like the one I'm sitting in right now. But when I do go away, I still have to work. So, um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of my clients already have all the processing laid up. So when I deliver the voice, they're used to it. They just stick it straight in, use that same processing every voiceover job I do. When I'm away, of course, the sound's different and they, they lay it up in the same thing and it's like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. So my question was, is there any way possible that you can have some kind of emulation that emulates someone's studio that they can take on the road with them? We have um, we have a number of different tools that I would call, the way I phrase them is taking the soul of a sound and imprinting it onto your music. Um, and we have we have various different tools that can do that. For instance, we have um, a match EQ inside of RX and inside of Ozone that will learn the spectral profile of a source and then allow you to apply that to your uh, your source. So if you were in one place and then you were in another, um, you could take the, the the sound of that dialogue track, run it through our match EQ. It'll learn it, and then you can actually apply that to uh, your source material. We see a lot of guys doing that um, inside of RX. Um, we also have some other tools man. like. Oh man, yeah. that's I amazing. do that manually, you bastards! <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool, George. Yeah. You've got to try it, mate. Download the demo and have a play with it. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah. very. Cool. I, I have a service I call Tone Matching, and people send me their home and then send me their travel ah, sample, yeah, yeah. and I do my darndest to. Well, maybe you guys can do more with the actual acoustical space as well, but in terms of the tonal balances and everything else, I try to do that. Steven St. Croix had one, I think it was called IQ, way back in the day. And then um, there was yeah. another company that um, did that same approach. And I remember using IQ. Um, you could get close, but if you put 100% of that match on the new source, it would get phasey because it was basically oh, yeah. trying to warp it too far from where it was or wanted to go. And so you could kind of skew yeah. it towards that direction. But it has that um, aspect of that, because I, th I think it was a lot of FFT analysis and then make the inverse EQ to match it. And it's also very closely related to even like the room correction softwares. Well, I mean, it, it's like, I mean, I use, um, I've got reference four from Sonoworks. Um, and I love it uh, right now because I've just bought a new house and it's got freaking porcelain <laughs> oh, no. tiles yes, in the place. So, mm. uh, yeah, I know. It sounds like I'm in a bathroom and, 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 and I'm surrounded by acoustic tiles and bass traps and everything and it still sounds echoey, so I've still got more work to do. But IK Multimedia tried it a, a few years ago. They, they released something that was an attempt and it was close, but it's, I mean, Dan will confirm, it's it's... Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You guys both have a lot of tech, and I think that um, certainly Isotope. You guys have a licensing program, I believe, and you've some of your maybe your time stretching technology and uh, things like that, where you've I guess you know sold it to be put under the hood of other other companies' products. And I think Waves, you guys mm -hmm. do the same thing. You have like a kind of a consumer arm and. I don't know, even putting your stuff in car stereos and things like that. Our consumer arm is actually um, bigger than yeah. our pro audio. Um, that, that's exactly my question was going to be like, how much of the tech 
how much of the business is is these other arms that seem like they're almost unseen by a lot of our industry directly? Um, well, MaxSpace technology, because the MaxSpace plug-in initially, which was psychoacoustic bass, um, that went into a chip which is in unheard of amounts of laptops and clock radios and alarm clocks, etc., to give a teeny win a bit of a less tinny sound in uh, the, the speakers that are provided. Um, we license uh, uh, different code to uh, uh, different gaming companies as well. Uh, if you look at the uh, the credits of uh, South Park, you'll see Waves mentioned. Um, TVs, etc. I mean, it's a, it's a really big department. We're actually, you'll even see our logo now on the new one of the new Fitbits. <laughs> you guys are going to beat Dolby. <laughs> No, that's that's not our aim. I mean, one of our aims right now is is one of our major uh, things on the pro audio side is uh, audio over Ethernet protocol, SoundGrid. Um, And that's been an industry standing in live sound for 10 years, but we're moving it very, very strongly into the studio side. So um, that's that's going to keep it. Well, no, it's a completely different thing. Dante and SoundGrid work side side by side if you've got the right hardware to connect it. Well, is SoundGrid layer two? SoundGrid is layer three. Dante is layer three. SoundGrid is layer two protocol. Dante is layer three. So Dante is an audio over IP. We're an audio over Ethernet. Um, uh, Our our consistency, uh, our I mean, our priority was consistent zero point eight latency round trip across uh, medium to large distances and processing on that audio at the same time. So, uh, so, so what's that about 64 channels per gigabit? We, uh, so? we can do 64 voices uh, with eight plugins on every single channel up to about 2000 feet with less than 0.8 wow. seconds. So, so, how, so how about uh, isotope? Are, are, uh, you guys obviously also have a licensing wing. Is that, you know, still a significant part or is that more, um, you know, you guys have, I think been releasing more and more plugins and and things in in, in the pro audio market, but have, has the uh, licensing continued strongly? I assume we don't really have a, a focus on licensing at all. It's actually kind of an inside joke. Um, there are a few people inside the company that are still like they mentioned licensing, and we all cheer licensing because it's kind of like we're cheering like this thing that used to be. But we don't actually we don't actually it's not a focus of the really the business anymore. We are focusing a lot on our plugin business and growing that. Uh, every year as aggressively as possible. But we also have the new Spire kind of uh, hardware recorder. We've kind of, a, we don't really work on our licensing. It's not a part of the, of the business at all. Um, I don't work on it at all, not a lot. But no, we focused actually, we started, we just released the first hardware product last September. Um, and it's, it's kind of aimed at uh, just allowing you to be creative and getting an idea down fast. Oh, I saw it. It's that little round thing, right? Yep. It's like a little round sort of personal Porta Studio kind of thing, yep. but yeah. uh, it's got a mic built into it, right? Yeah, yeah that, that looks pretty cool. It's got an omnidirectional mic on the front. It's got two Grace Design preamps on the back. Um, it does phantom power. It's got like a six-hour battery life, a very easy interface, and it um, records uh, audio uh, into it, but then it wirelessly transfers that to your phone, so you can actually record. And the, the little DAW is actually a little app on your phone, so you can control it from your phone. And it stores it on your phone, it stores it on the Spire Studio. It's a, it's a really fun uh, kind of new chapter in Isotope, um, and we're really excited about it. So we've actually been really focusing Look. on that, getting that out there, and getting nice. people to adopt that. So from the hardware perspective, it kind of leads into my other question, which is, 
from the users who, um, you know, me. Uh, <laughs> so there's, there was a big hubbub when Waves decided not to do HDX. And, uh, and, and I totally realize the, the amount of rewrite that you guys probably had to do was just insane. I'm assuming it was mainly a financial decision just on like, how, how can we possibly rewrite all this stuff? It was actually, uh, it was, a, it was, it was a few things mixed up, but one of them, you're absolutely right. It was, um, uh, it, 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 it just didn't look like a good direction for us to go for, uh, at that point in time. And it was incredibly challenging at the same point, it was like, okay, well, we have to survive. We have to move forward. Our relationship with Avid is very, very strong right now. It's like they even add our technology into the new SXL. But it, it did create a bit of a challenge at the time. But it's like, it's you know, you got to remember, it's a business. And I think, I think the more we got the chance to actually explain why we didn't choose to go with HDX, AAX, DSP plugins. Um, more people were like, oh, okay, cool. So you know, it's like, well, I'd, I'd rather have the plugins keep yeah. going than yeah, disappear I, I think forever. It was a nod towards the future too, where, you know, eventually computers are going to get so fast that the, the hardware approach might not be necessary. You know, are we on the verge of that right now? We have, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, I mean, we have our own, we, we already had at the time and we still have our own DSP option, which is DSP and native and works on multiple consoles, uh, any DAW and um, is a really, really good enterprise. And it's like, and that's the hardware that uh, Avid has now put in their live console and given people the option to use in their live console with a sound grid card um, because it's in demand, but it's, it's one of those things. You've got to move forward and you have to make decisions that initially people might not like. Um, uh, we were one of the first companies to drop the pricing and that pissed people off too because they, you know, somebody might just have bought it for, you know, a, a ton more. But at the same point, then other companies followed um, because we all have to survive. We all have to, you know, we all have the same rough clientele. There's a ton of people out there. You look at that microphone statistics that you were talking about, um, those same people are using... Isotope plugins, they're using Waves plugins, yep. Plugin Alliance, McDSP, um, and uh, they're our market. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. My my uh, my personal appeal would be take the most important ones and do AAX DSP because uh, my, my thought was like, wow, that whole list is just, you know, take you years to write all DSP for all that stuff. But a few of the key ones, like I, I thought that'd be a great thing. It would have taken us about a year with every single coder in the company, including tech support, writing code. And it would yeah. probably put us And so Isotope, I assume, is is there's no HDX. Or I, actually, I don't even know. I shouldn't say there's no HDX. I, do you guys do DSP for HDX on any of your plugins? I'm we don't. We don't. Absolutely unaware. Yeah, we actually don't support any, any hardware DSP. DSP accelerators at all. Um, we've been very um, conscious of not doing that just because one, we, again, it's, it's kind of that, you know, what would we have to do to our code in order to fit it onto a DSP card? That one is something that we just really didn't want to invest time into, you know, obviously there are benefits to it, but there are also trade-offs too, because when you look at like these shark processors that you get, you have to write for that. You have to figure out how your DSP mm -hmm. uh, fits onto that. Right. So, and we have, we have a compiler. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, we have algorithms that are, you know, are using like neural nets to train, to re make really complex DSP uh, decisions, you know, like, like the dialogue, uh, the dialogue D reverb plugin I was talking to you earlier, like, 
we use machine learning to build that, you know, and I don't know if we've even thought of what that would take to get onto a DSP chip. So it's like, would we have to sacrifice quality in order to get it onto that chip? We don't know, but we never really wanted to go down that route, you know, because it's just, we always feel like it would sacrifice the quality of our plugins and DSP. Yeah. And I know, I know one of our problems when we looked at some of that was just not even so much fitting our code on it, yeah. but the actual data bus yeah. between the CPU and the DSP card. And we had the unique situation where ultimately we have to get to the internet. Yeah. So we got to get to the CPU and, right. and we just had a bottleneck that was, yeah. we, we couldn't ever get past. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as, as a user, I'm always curious about that because um, it's great having the workstations that, you know, that feel like a hardware mixer and you have a completely predictive, you know, exactly what you're going to get. There's no bogging down. You can launch other applications. You know, it's not going to get in the way of, totally. of what you're doing. And so a lot of, a lot of engineers sort of want that sort of predictability and they see that in, in the DSP platforms. Totally. Yeah. I was going to say like the SXL, like um, my buddy, Ryan, uh, I think he's, you probably, do you know, Ryan, John, uh, he, he's the live uh, product manager on the SXL. I don't know if you know him, Michael. Yep. Um, yeah, he, he, it's like, you know, he demos that, that workstation for me. And it's just like a thing of beauty. You know what I mean? You pull up a waves plugin and you pull up like a, any other DSP plugin on there. And it's like, my God, like I can just use this like seamlessly. I don't have to worry about opening a DAW and like CPU and like the latency. It's like everything is there right there. It's working. It's amazing. It's slick. Both Avid and Waves, we both spent a ton of time on getting that right. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it, it is awesome. And uh, and the SXL, it's just an amazing sounding console. Yeah. We should come up with a, um, a voiceover plugin. You know, um, we actually have uh, a couple of things that are good for voiceover. One of them is free. It's called Studio Rack, and it lets you save a chain of up to eight plugins as a single plugin. Uh, anybody who's got a Waves account and has a couple of plugins in our account can download Studio Rack for free. The other thing, there's a plugin that we have that's been out for years that is kind of like one of those little sleeper plugins that hardly anybody seems to use, and it's called MV2. Um MV2, Max Volume 2, is probably one of the most transparent compressors I've ever used for a voiceover. Mm, it's very cool. I use yeah, it check all the it time. Out. <laughs> do you? Is that yeah, right, brother? Yeah, it's, on, it's, it's across my voiceover bus on just about every project in mine you open. There's a number of plugins that, that like, like another funny one is the center, oh, yeah. which in a post-production context, it's like, oh, I want to tweak my mix. And it seems like a very like finessey plugin. But actually, I, I like uh, clients will come in and say, here's this major label music track. And we just want to see what it's going to be like. And we need to present it to clients. And you just so you just grab that plugin, dump the center, get rid of the vocals in a it's not perfect, but in a it's very useful for doing things like that where and I don't think when you guys made the plug and you're like, hmm, this will be great for removing vocals entirely. Actually no, we didn't. We it's like I mean we we the whole use one of the main uses was what mastering engineers use it for is when they get a track and the vocals too hot, um they can pull it back a bit without, you know, disintegrating the rest of the tracks. And and I don't think people appreciate how complex that plugin is because it's it's not like a left right minus the phase get rid That's of the, the vocal thing. thing. Somebody it's said like, to me about a year ago. They said, oh, "All you did was reverse the phase." And no, I to beat them over the head with a mercury box. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's become a it's become a fun. It's become a crazy thing. We we've, we've been seeing a little bit of like interest in that kind of uh, signal processing a lot too, like in remixing and all that. 
Um, you know, people, the, the unbaked the cake thing, I think is definitely coming up a lot. Yeah. It, it leverages a, a type of, a type of technology called source separation. And it, it, it allows you to essentially, you can learn and you can teach a machine how to recognize voice bass, percussion, anything else inside of a mix. And you can actually remove or isolate that stuff from a mix. And it's, it's powerful stuff. And it, it's really, uh, it's a little weird too. It's like, where's it actually the scares me oh, a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a little scary. It's a little scary. Um, yeah. So. All right, here's a question for everybody because uh, I'm the only one who's not uh, a knob twiddler, so to speak. Um, if you were producing or uh, received a voiceover from someone, because I know we've got a lot of voiceover people listening, what would you expect to hear or what would you like to hear? Mic technique. Right. A pop filter that I'm not using right now. <laughs> Neither is Robbo, um, I've noticed. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's no, to me is yeah. like, I mean, I, uh, it, it's really, it's really hard to EQ and compress something when you, you, you can virtually visualize somebody moving in and out of the microphone distance wise as if they were drunk and high at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it happens a lot. I mean, especially over here, I mean, where there's a ton of radio stations that don't have the budget for, um, people who specifically do what we do so well in Australia, which is radio production, you have a ton of people who don't know how to work a microphone and uh, mic technique is something that makes compressing and EQing and limiting and uh, making a voiceover sound good is hugely important and I think it's missed a lot. Yeah. Uh, this whole fix it in the mix thing is just, uh, I, don't, I don't appreciate it and I don't condone it. It's like I'd rather right. get it right first. It's yeah. interesting you say that because Robbo and I had the same discussion yesterday when we popped into a studio in Melbourne and uh, we were just talking about a microphone and, and there was an issue that Robbo went down to Melbourne uh, to try and sort out. And one of them was uh, a microphone that I'd actually sold to the studio. And uh, they were saying that, you know, it just wasn't kind of cutting it and they played a, a sample which Robbo listened to. But it turned out to be mic technique. Off her mic. And, and, mm. and mic placement because the, the talent um, couldn't see the script behind the mic. Oh, Yeah. They were peeking uh, around the microphone, which was putting yep. them off. And mic. you work with a forty-one-six, and that's even more important. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. that's I a mean, lot of what I do with my client, with my voice actor clients. We spend a lot of time getting that right. I mean, I mean and, and in these little tiny booths that they're often in, the smaller the space, the more critical that mm -hmm. placement is. I mean, it it dramatically changes the sound to move a mic two inches in a four by three room. I've noticed this a few times with voiceover and it doesn't always happen this way, but some voiceover people will have their hands in the air and they're moving their hands around. And if they get their hands too close mm -hmm. to their mouth and then away and then close and then away, they're constantly changing the sound stage and the way the, their voice is reflecting into the microphone off their hands and then not off their hands. There's a, a voiceover guy I worked with many, many years ago uh, who's an absolute uh, – you, Dan, you, you won't have heard of him because uh, he's only in Australia pretty much. Mm. His name is Lofty Fulton. Yeah, yeah, we know Lofty. <laughs> and, I know who he is. I've met him. Lofty, Lofty used to, when I was production manager at a little radio station in Gosford, New South Wales, called Coast Rock FM, uh, Lofty used to catch the train down once a week and we do voiceovers. And every now and again at that point, this is like 19 – 89, 90, 90, he would get so excited. He'd move his little arms around and he'd start hitting the lectern. It was like, okay, dude, stop, 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 stop. You know, just stop, settle down, settle down. 
Uh, it's like, you're right. People move around too much and it just makes it harder. It's like, there's only so much that a plugin can fix. In a different show, we were talking about the voiceover bodysuit and, you know, like, <laughs> but it's, it's still entirely untrue. Wow. It is going to happen. You know, we're, we're, yeah. we're, talking, we're talking to the right guys almost. Yeah, yeah, sure. Totally. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, you're talking, but Dan is the right I'll guy for that one. Dan, that's all yours, man. <laughs> and and then we need some fashion, you know, some designers. But Think of like the Michelin man. Right, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's a, it's actually a suit. Oh my god! Right, so you have a helmet and everything, and you put you just got a microphone inside the suit. It's the voiceover bodysuit, so you don't need a room. Right. You just put your voiceover bodysuit on, and you're right to go. You know, like all reflections get absorbed That's by right. the voiceover suit. The animal pride it kills all pride. <laughs> right. Well, we've got pride in this business. We're imagining all the local voiceover guys catching up at the local coffee shop, dressed in their voiceover suits, ready to go to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> Done. It's on. It's on the roadmap. Twenty twenty one. We'll release it in different colors. But but no joke. You know, like like some guys come into a studio and they wear the wrong clothes and they wear some like you know corduroy. Yeah, exactly. Great oh, example. Yeah, or the right shirt that like and they're moving their arms around. Yeah, there used to be a guy here in Melbourne that had a huge campaign for years, made a lot of money. I walked into the studio. He, he was wearing a leather biker jacket. <laughs> and he had bracelets and necklaces and all this kind of big rings and stuff on. <laughs> no one ever said a, a word to him, but it must have been horrendous to engineer that guy. <laughs> I did a I did a recording session. I was doing tracking vocals for a track for Scott Stapp from Creed about uh, ten years ago, and he were he'd walked into his studio in his house, um, and he was wearing leather pants, <laughs> and it was the middle of summer in Florida. And every time he got excited, I'd have to kind of say, mate, stop, you're squeaking again. (laughs) (laughs) With arms wide open, squeak. Oh, my God. I I think that was a rice rice cooker more than uh, leather pants, quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dan's, I mean, mean, Isotope has, uh, uh, I mean, that's, you know, post-production is... Pretty much, especially the RX stuff is totally their realm. Yep. Um, but I mean, I think even Dan, I think you'll even you'll agree it's it's much better if it's recorded nicely before it actually goes in. Oh yeah, I mean that's I think that's one of the most overlooked things in uh, like almost all education. I think for just capturing something, it's like there's going to be an inherent garbage in, garbage out uh, aspect to anything. You know, it's like if it's not a good, even if it's not if it's not a good performance or if it's not a good not in time it's like there's only so much the tools can do for you you know what i mean it's like it's 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 incredible so i mean yeah i completely agree it's like i find that you know there are more and more vocalists who are just completely inconsistent with their singing or they don't have a sense of like you know sibilance or how clicky their mouths are just kind of that stuff and it's just like you know you got to capture a good recording up front to really have it kind of um you know go forward in the production it's it's really crucial i think a voiceover has to be it has to be super clean you can't have errors you can't have pops thumps and stuff like that uh where in vocals you know if it's not perfect and the performance is there it, it doesn't kind of matter so much yeah totally you know what i mean really 
Well, well also, <laughs> also with voiceover, there's less to hide behind. Yeah. Um, it just typically in the production, even the music is mixed much lower. You're just out there more, and so everything is exposed. The, I, I think I think this whole thing about get it right in the first place is no more true than probably the biggest question that you know often music people or like the sort of up and coming engineers. It's like, how do you get your drum sound? And it's like tune your drums yeah tune your drums start with good drums <laughs> there's a there's a there's a there's a master there's a recording session i used for a master class that was and this session was recorded by a good friend of mine in nashville called joe west joe uh like a lot of musicians in nashville still manages to record uh, producers in nashville manages to record all of his musicians at the same time while they're actually you know playing live yeah um and when i take people through this session of like 150 tracks i've got three plugins on a drum kit of uh 23 tracks there's only three plugins on it why because it was recorded well yep. yeah right. or it, beyond recorded well is a really good sounding drum kit to start with right yeah, so it's, right. yeah i mean it's it's like i mean and and, it, uh, and i do that specifically because it brings up the questions y'all man you the waves guy how come you only got three plugins on it? it's like because i don't need any more than that <laughs> yeah yeah i saw an interview yesterday with uh, sylvia massey and she was talking about exactly that recording live and she records everything live. And the only thing that she may leave out because she does like to have the thing bleed is uh, all the cymbals. They overdub those later. But the drums and everything else is all live and bleeding into each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. sound of drums. Bleed. Well, you did bleed actually <laughs> brings like a soul to it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. I mean, Dan's right. It's the sound of drums. Yeah, it's the sound yeah. of drums. Keep it the sound yeah. of drums. We can't go without asking the guys um, – Give us your favorite plugin from each of your companies then and, and talk us through why. And uh, My favorite plugin from Waves is the API uh, parametric EQ models that they have. The reason being is because they're incredibly quick and I know exactly what they sound like. Um, I love using them on guitars. I love using them on drums. And um, when I've used them live, they're incredibly fast and quick and they are so close to the originals in the way that they, uh, the user experience of them is that I just, I just respond to that plugin so well. So yeah, those, those, those API models, uh, I think it's a 550B, that parametric one with the concentric dials is like my absolute favorite waves plugin, hands down for sure. Little tippet on the API stuff. We didn't release that until the guys from API had to really multiply play things back to try and A and B between the hardware and the software. Oh, really? Were they going for that like a uh, complete null or whatever? Yeah, yeah. It's a. I mean, it's a. It the one of the things about API is the fixed frequencies, right? And um, you, you, if you, if you're going to model something with that kind of amazing sound and name on it, you really want to make sure that you don't fuck it up. Right. My favorite isotope plugin is Stutter Edit. Ah, um, Stutter Edit. And. <laughs> And the reason it's twofold. Firstly, um, I've got a friend in LA, Brian Tranzo, and he was one of the brains behind that initially, uh, and that 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 style, and then worked with Isotope on finishing it. But it's like there's a certain magic behind that plugin that just helps you. It just kicks your ass into creativity. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's cool. 
Well, I'm going to throw my two in there just just for the for, for my five cents worth. Um, but Robbo, we don't care. No, I know, <laughs> I know. But I'm going to tell you anyway. So shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah. Getting into the show, I've already given it away. The RX stuff from Isotope is saved my ass so many times in the time I've had it. It's it's not funny. Um, and from Waves Gomez, one that we haven't mentioned, but I find so cool is Vocal Rider um, in uh, terms yeah. of mixing yeah. without having to compress. To get that voiceover just kicking through, it's indispensable for me. It's a really simple plug. I mean, it, it, t- it took a ton of years to make um, because we had to work out a way to actually get a plug-in code to actually identify the predominant frequencies of a human voice. Um, and then separate it from everything else. And it doesn't compress, it doesn't process, all it does, it's basically a big bionic finger. Mm. Um, (laughs) And one of the the things that people, because, I mean, I have to say, and Dan will probably agree with this too, it really pisses me off how few people actually read the damn manuals. (laughs) Guilty, man. It's like... RTFM, man, RTFM. Everything is just a suggestion when you have no other idea what to do. Right. Every single Waves plugin has a little Waves bar at the top of it with a question mark, which brings up the PDF. Vocal Writer, one of the cool things about it, especially when you're mixing for musical for radio promos, is sidechaining the vocal to the music, and then you have a, a, a knob that lets you control how close that vocal is ridden to the music or the drums or whatever else so that you can really get it tight. Um, I love Vocal Rider. It's a cool plugin. Let me ask you guys this before we go. We all know the usual suspects in terms of DAWs, but in my world, we like a single track. And the one that I have grown to really, really love and use for the last seven or so years is one called Twisted Wave. Have you guys ever dabbled with that thing? Ever had a reason to? Do you know what it is? I've seen it. it. I've seen it pop up in our analytics for our plugins, but... Anybody that's using Twisted Wave, there's, it's because me and maybe one other, other guy named Bo Weaver um, got on the bandwagon really early and just started telling voice actors this is the right tool for the job. So if, if you see any analytics mentioning Twisted Wave, I may have something to do with it. But <laughs> um, basically, it's, it's, it's a SoundForge written for Mac OS, and the developer is just a guy and the beauty of it is he doesn't upgrade the thing ever. Oh, <laughs> All he does is keep up with Apple's shenanigans. And that's and it. Which is simple, hard, by the way. And, and the other thing is it's simple. It's, it's simple, it's right. easy, and it has a plug-in chainer called a stack. That's his parlance. Wow. And um, I can build a stack file, send that stack file to anybody, and they immediately have my processing chain loaded in their system, as long as they have the same plugins. And it's um, it's so efficient and so easy to use. So that one's been a killer app. And if you haven't tried it yet, if you have a reason to just try something out that's simple and want to show somebody how to dialogue at it really fast, maybe give that one a try. My my only issue I'm with it is it's destructive and it. it's in its editing. It's a destructive editor. It's a that's wave not, editor. Yeah. It's a wave editor. It's pure and simple. It's like SoundForge, but yeah, you know, it's it's like it's peak for, simplified. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, peak. Yeah, that God rested soul. Um, <laughs> when Twisted Wave came along, it it just completely eclipsed peak in my mind in terms of how simple and easy it is to use and how rock solid it is. It's just absolutely rock solid. And uh, so if you guys haven't tried it, check it out. I've got it actually, funnily enough, on my laptop because um, I use WaveLab on the big computer, which is a PC, when I'm in the studio. But when I'm out, um, I had 
a new version of Wave Lab, which was Wave Lab 8 or something. Yep. And uh, they changed everything. So, you know, all the shortcuts and everything I had in my head, how this thing worked, it was completely different and it was <sighs> driving me crazy. Madness. So I just got Twisted Wave because I saw, funnily enough, George and Bo <laughs> talking about Twisted Wave uh-huh. and uh, on a video and I just downloaded that and I use that when I'm on the road and it, it is really super simple. So the Chrome version of Twisted Wave to the download version of Twisted right, Wave, are right. they pretty so much the same? The developer is a Mac developer, but he did develop a version that's really stripped down that runs on, on, on the web. And that was his answer to all the Windows people going, I want to use it, I'm on Windows. And he's like, well, here you go. Here's a, here's a web version. He also has an iOS version that's pretty cool. Um, but the, the, it's, the web version works as a simple recorder editor with some very basic processing tools, but it doesn't have the stack function. It doesn't have the batch function, which voice actors love when they have to generate three or 4,000 20-second long files for an e-learning project. Um, voice actors have to do some ridiculous stuff sometimes, especially in e-learning. You know, exactly. we need to make 12,000 files <laughs> named with a specific naming convention in this format, you know. So it's it's a tool for the job. I mean, I know a guy that uses Nuendo, but he has Twisted Wave on there just for the batch processing, you know. So I I plug it because I love it, and I think the guy develops it. It's great. And I just, again, I love that the guy does not get sucked into the feature creep of this world of we have to always release something new. Um that's really honorable. And of course, he's lean and mean. He's a dude, uh, you know, and he gets the luxury of being able to do that. But um, it's cool stuff. How do you like in the in the VO world, like how many people are actually using DAWs versus some sim- simple solution like Twisted Wave? I, I they, they usually try to shoot for the simplest thing possible. There's oh. there's a general opinion in the voiceover world that Pro Tools is way too complicated Interesting. and kind of funny because I actually I mean, it's. I'm I'm not a good case for that because I you know I've been living with Pro Tools for so long, but I, I find a lot of the other workstations even more complicated and and so but I I see just in doing tech support that usually the the voiceover guys like shoot for the simplest thing they can and so there's a lot of audacity, a lot of twisted wave, a lot of Reaper, and then after that it's like probably the next biggest one after that might be like GarageBand and Logic, and then you spill out into well, you know, you're missing, and, you, the elephant in the room here is Adobe. You're missing Adobe. Oh, I was about to say, Adobe Audition. Audition is a killer, killer Yeah, that's app. true. I mean, that's it's, true. I forgot about it. It gets less and less stable, but it's... So, uh, <laughs> but it's not simple. Yeah. It's not simple, but... Yeah. It, I don't find it, it simple. It's, uh, it's, it depends on the tools you learn. Some people come from radio, and they, they've been using cool they, edits since they right. were... Yeah. Well, this is I, the thing. It's like yeah, it's like I came to America from uh, Australia in 2004, and uh, I you know I'd come straight from the 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 vision of Australian radio, which is taken freaking seriously. And I turn up in the states, and uh, even the local Clear Channel and Cox radio stations in Miami. Oh, your studio? No, man. We just got this little room here, and we got a uh, cool edit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a and a and a Behringer microphone. I was like, holy crap! It's like, yeah. and I and I'd mentioned Pro Tools, and they go, jeez, oh, no. It's like, what do you think we are, rich? Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pro Tools it, is it, standard here. I look at all these solutions, and and what what makes me really interested is that it seems like they're really simple. Yet, oh, I mean, this might be uh, this may be weird to say, but 
you're still looking at audio waveforms. You know, to to a certain degree, it's still fairly advanced in terms of like understanding the physics of what an audio file looks like, the amplitude, the timeline. I wonder I wonder why we haven't figured out a new way to edit audio that disregards the there is. actual wave file. There oh, is. Right. What is that? Yeah, so 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 when I was at NAB last year, there was in, in one of those like research parks, you know? Yeah. Where they have like they corral like um there's a company that basically you you give it your audio, it's all spoken word. Mm-hmm. And then it they were using Google. They would upload it to Google. Google would come back with the text to speech, huh. chop that thing up in your in your uh, text editor, boom, you got a new wave file. That's cut. Really cool. And you don't have to think about waveforms. You're just and they couldn't cut between syllables, but you could cut all you wanted between words and it did a very good job at it. Ricky. And, yeah. An interesting look into the future for me is there and I won't mention any names or Pactrial, but there's a guy on YouTube who's a fairly prolific poster of how to do your own audio and he uses audition since we were talking about audition and 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 his stated mission is to train the next generation of audio engineers or people who understand audio but everything he does in audition is okay so i want to do this so i go to this plugin and i use this preset and bang and then i do this with this preset and bang and bang and bang and it's it, it it's interesting to me and it's sort of watching him is that that's it's all very visual. It's all okay. Well, I, uh, when I when I'm doing this edit, I I watch this and I watch this and I I, I put them together and blah blah blah. And it's like it, it seems to me that as uh, with the technology that we're talking about, we're moving further and further away from the actual skill of listening to audio and manipulating it. Robo, do you do you scrub? Do I scrub? I scrub yeah. fairly regularly. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's funny because because I've for years been working and and a lot of the times i would sit in pro tools like zoomed out mini cutting audio and you can't even see the waveform in there at all it doesn't matter you just there's a word there's the beginning of the word over there delete that bring that up and i don't you you know it's like i could probably work perfectly fine without the waveform view at all and in a lot of my modes and and then i see a lot of the kids coming out of school and they're they're clicking and they're zooming and it's like, it slows you down incredibly to have to zoom in find your thing, zoom out, cut over there. And it's just like, listen, scrubbing is so much faster. And it's like a lost method. I teach it. Uh, there's a university here in the States called full Sail, Um, and I do a, I do a guest spot in the, 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 the pro audio class, the, the last of the audio production class before they graduate. And there was a guy who was looking really confused at his Pro Tools session about six months ago. And I walked up and I said, mate, what's going on? And he, and he says to me, guys, I quote here, he goes, I don't know. It's just my Pro Tools session doesn't look busy enough. <laughs> what the hell okay. does that mean? <laughs> right. Well, it means that people, people, I mean, seriously, it's like people, I mean, these kids are growing up. It's like the, the, the art of listening is taking a back seat to, okay, I now know what a, vo- uh, a breath looks like. And that's where that's at. It's like, it's too visual. And I spent a ton of time trying to tell them, it's like, you know, I might sound old, but the whole concept is that nobody is ever going to listen to your track on the radio and go, shit, that Pro Tools session must've been lit. Yeah, 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 exactly. Do you really want to deal with that? Actually, like that's it's always annoying. It it actually reminds me of a funny thing. Um, I when I when I first started out as in post and I was assisting and um, the the engineer I was assisting he gets the whole mix perfect and it's literally like 
five sound effects, no big deal, vocal. And then when he's all done and the thing's perfect, he, t- he, he takes all these other tracks and just starts writing random automation on tracks that have no audio on them at all. And that was literally just so clients come in the room and they see that mixer move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where we began this conversation, I think. That's the Funk Logic. Do you remember Funk Logic? Oh, yeah. They, I love all their stuff, man. Funk Logic makes fake. <laughs> the Masterizer, the Digilog Dynamicator. Yeah, they make fake rack fillers <laughs> so you can fill up your racks. Did, did you design Icon's Vegas mode? Yes, yes. exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Vegas mode, yeah. I, I, I love the one that went from like, oh, um, well, well, they had the palindrometer, but they also had the one that went from like. <laughs> palindrometer. Yeah, and, and like like the, the knob that the, it was on, more on, was the on switch. <laughs> and, but they had one that was, uh, I forget what the knob was called, and it went from like, ooh, to oh one one oh 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 one one one. It was like the analog to digital knob. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but uh, I've got one last question because all of you guys deal with people all over the world, um, and maybe not so much with the voiceover guys, but some of you do, of course. Um, what's the difference in the gear spec of the average person per country, like America versus UK versus Australia? I mean, because Gomez, you touched on this with um, when you got to uh, America in radio. Uh, it, it's the, the, There's nothing consistent. Um, I mean, it's uh, advertising is what runs it these days. Marketing is what runs it these days. I mean, and a lot of the time, especially... On the hardware side, you find people. Well, actually, no. Even in plugins, I've had people say, "I bought this plugin because it looks cool," um, which you know obviously makes me really happy. Uh, <laughs> um, people, I mean, especially the you know, it's like both. I mean, my company and dance. It's like I mean, we both spend a ton of time on the graphic look as well as the sound. But the sound is more important. But it's amazing how many people you'll talk to and say, "Oh man, looks dope." Uh, that's why I bought it. And then you're thinking, "Well, do, have you mixed anything with uh, it yet?" Uh, um, it's it's like there's an awful lot over here. There's an awful lot. There's a, a forum, which I don't know if anybody in Australia reads it. I try really hard not to unless I want to kill myself. Gear Sluts. Called Gear, Gear Sluts. Sluts. I love it. We love Gear Sluts. I'm sure you do, but you don't work for Waves, Avid, or Isis. <laughs> or Isis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, but the thing about Gear Sluts, for anyone that hasn't read it, and uh, I'm sure most of our audience has, but if you, have, if you haven't, get in there and have a look because you get these most civilised conversations. To turn into <laughs> this absolute, like uh, I'm yeah. going to kill somebody. You're an yeah. idiot. You know what would you know? And it's, it's just I mean, on. It's it's an amazing platform. It really is, and it's 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 great that everybody has access to it. The hard part is that you don't always know if the person who's telling you that they recommend a piece of gear, if he's ever actually touched or used the piece of gear. Right. Exactly. Go, going back to the graphics thing, I, I think it's kind of interesting because. Um, I, I believe in in some of your plugins and the isotope uh, stuff. You guys have emulations of you know various gear or classic gears. I, I don't know if they're named emulations, but um, I I think the whole emulation thing would be way different if there was no time spent with the knobs and the shadows on the knobs and making it really look like that piece. And I mean, I, I think a lot of that comes from. It just gives me that emotional feeling of like a lot of the emulation is literally emulating the emotions of using it and not only just the sound. Yeah, it's uh, totally that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, we're the only 
like if you think about like what Michael and I do, we 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 build software that has a third sense when you interact with it, right? Most web apps, most things that you touch on the internet, it has a visual aid and it has a, um, you touch it first and present an action into it. And then there's some sort of visualization to confirm or, or, uh, in, or kind of reinforce what you've done with that. But the plugins that we make, not only do you see it, you touch it, but when you go after that action, there's a sound associated with it too. So there's like a, this third sense that's very unique to um, the way the way plugins are developed, and that interaction is so critical when it comes to doing a model of an 1176 or doing something with an LA2A, or for instance, thinking about how a new plugin that's never existed before should work. You know what I mean? So like how the UI. Yeah, exactly. So, like, we always yeah. talk about the we, range. We just did the source, the UI for Source Connect four. I mean, what a yeah. it's like a lot of work. Yeah, it, and that's it, a simple thing. And the other thing is, you got to remember, it's like you know, people will say, "Oh, it doesn't sound anything like an eleven seventy six. No, it doesn't sound like one that you've heard. Right. <laughs> um, you know, we you know we modeled one. SSL 4000G, the original one. We modeled one SSL 4000E. We modeled Chris Lord Algae's 1176. Um, we modeled the dope. Fairchild that, I, that, <laughs> that, Jack, that, that, that Jack Joseph Puigons. Um, it's like, but every single piece of analog hardware has a different sound. Didn't, didn't um, Plugin Alliance do something like that where they, they made totally, their emulations well, switch? Well, we, we did yeah. too. It's like what we did was we created a, pro, a, pro, a plugin called NLS. Um, non nonlinear summing, and what we did was rather than model the entire chain, circuitry of the board, EQ, compression, limiting, character, analog on off. What we did was we took um, a model of the actual just the character of each channel strip, and we spilled it out over thirty two. So we did a classic Neve, a classic SSL, and then um, a try Yes, yes, um, and it's it's it's. It's like what it does is it gives you a different channel strip sound, that analog reaction on every single channel, and then you put your own EQ and your own compression and effects and everything else. Um, nonlinear summing on that one is it's I mean it's it's an art form. Um, some people love the full models, some people, but you know Dan's right. It's like you're you're modeling it on multiple levels. But one of the things that's also important, especially for people who have experience with the hardware, specific like a Fairchild or a, a, a Pultec, etc., is the layout. If you go and mess with the layout, it's amazing how many people will yell and scream at you forever in a day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have to mo- you have to model the quirks, the yeah, the the, totally. the the bugs that might have existed in the original product. You know, um, the hiss. I, I don't know the 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 the, oh, the, the all the buttons down in the eleven seventy six, which which when they originally made it, they probably didn't plan on that one. But yeah, like, the blacky, the bluey, and the everything. Right. Yeah. Going back to the listening thing, I think it's funny. Uh, M- Massey made that plugin called Listen, and when you put it on your your screen or on your channel, it blacks your screen out. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things. It's one of the things I always loved about Cubase was Cubase. Uh, I don't know if it still does, but it had a button that would turn your screen off. That's incredible. 
Yeah, I think I think I think it's super important. It's like and um, Dan, I don't know if you knew him. It was like if I remember Scott, my mate Scott Simon used to work at Cakewalk years and years and years ago before he came to Waves. He works at our he works at our business business uh, development um, guy at Isotope. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I I talked to him today. Yeah, I know because he left. uh, Him and I worked together. We 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 basically ran the US of Waves before he left for Isotope. But he was at Cakewalk before, if I remember it. So and he and even he was back like yeah man the screen button um, because people spend way too much time looking and not enough time listening very true i'm gonna get off my high horse now no no i'll leave you with this one though because i'm sure we've all got things to do but uh, a mate of mine used to be the resident uh, engineer at rack in london he now lives in melbourne and he teaches at one of the uh, colleges and one of the tricks he does he teaches obviously the kids in audio on pro tools but then he'll drag them off to another room with a multi-track tape machine and gets them to punch in. Throwing him in the deep end. And he reckons you just see them going white. They don't know what the <laughs> hell's going on because they're looking for a picture of a waveform and there is nothing. Mm-hmm. It's got, use your ears, no, boys. Yeah. There are two There are two big schools over here, Blackbird Academy and uh, Conservatorium of Recording Arts in Phoenix that both make you go through analog down to China Graph Pencil, editing block, cutting tape, um, before you can actually finish and graduate in digital audio. Our, our first year in school was uh, no, I mean, and, and this was when digital was still early on, but but literally our first year in school, there was only one, one room you could go to. It was all Crown 800s, a couple synths, lexicon delay lines. It was, that was all you could use was stuff from, you know, at that point it was like literally stuff from the 60s. And once you went through all that, then you could go downstairs and play with Pro Tools version 2 or <laughs> your Mac 2FX. There's a good old function in Pro Tools called Quick Punch mm-hmm. that I still use regularly oh, with yeah, voiceover artists. Yeah, but it still saves you. You can still change your edit later. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> dropping them in. Like, you know, yeah, like I think it works better as an edit rather than saying, pick it up, let's go back and drop it in because then they've got a sense of where they finished and where they go. Oh, they read along with themselves. If I think if voiceover people got more used to punching in, in the musical sense, things, you know, things would be better. There's, there, there's a lot of, I'll cut it in later, but I, I think what's funny is like, you know, you're doing a vocal session with a musician and, and they're so used to just like, Oh, let me do it again. 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 And I, wish for the days where it was just on tape and the guy goes, Oh, that was, that was a good track. That was really good. Oh, let me do it again. And, And are you sure? Because if we go in and you don't do it as well, we're, you know, like that. (laughs) And that thing that makes you move forward, make your music, make some decisions and get on with it. That is the infinite decision options that the digital gives you is probably kind of its one curse because it's never finished now. I reckon time compression has been one of the killers as far as as far as being a voice actor. Used well, it has its advantages. It never gets used well in the States. Right. Right. It's used for all the terms and conditions on the end of a clear channel commercial. In this <laughs> and, 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 and they're willing to pay an extra session fee for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, here, 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 we'll go to legal. The, the, the funny trick that, that I've seen a couple of times is you take the legal, like, like imagine your car commercial and all the APR financing, this, that, and the other thing normally it goes at the end of the spot. So what I've seen a couple of companies do is they put all their legal at the beginning, thus making it sound like the end of the previous spot, and then they get into their spot. I'm sneaky. Yeah, I've heard another trick here where they leave a gap. So they do the ad, they have like a, a second gap, then in comes the legals, and then into another ad. So it actually does sound like it's on part of the other commercial. 
I've been doing some work <laughs> for a radio station here. Um, and what we do, because they've, they've got uh, client tags that have to go on the back of some promos that they've been doing recently. They've, the sales guys sold five-second tags. So we actually use the station voice for the promo, end the promo, then bring in a new music bed and a new voice to do the five-second tag. So it sounds like a separate ad. But when you take it to client, you just attach it to the back of the promo and it all sounds good. You know what I mean? So they, yeah, they're yeah. hearing the promo and their tag, great. But to a listener on air, it sounds like a completely different ad too. So there's sorts of nice, sticky ways around it a little bit. Well, there's a plug-in, the disclaimer wow. plug-in. The disclaimer plug-in, yeah. <laughs> there you go, Gomez. There's one for ways. It's a stupid, like, like the... The legal can sometimes be 25% of their media buy. And the reality is no one hears it. And with so many other things, you're allowed to say, click here for the legal, you know, click here for the details. And all, all that really needs to be said is like, you know, go here for details because no one can possibly hear all this legal unless they record it and slow it down themselves and transcribe it. It's gotten so fast. And so I don't, it seems just to satisfy lawyers to put all that legal in there. I have a lawyer on retainer that I have just for that. That's all he does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and that was your disclaimer, I guess. <laughs> it should have said it quickly. All oh, right, man, I'm, I got to go, guys. Yeah, yeah on that fun, note. o'clock at night, I want to go and have some dinner. Oh, don't blame you. Well, let's get out of here. That was uh, the end of our show. Don't forget, if you want to leave us any comments, please go to our Facebook, which is the Pro Audio Suite podcast. Uh, also, you can download through iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. Yep. Guys, where are we sending uh, Where are we sending prospective clients to check out your products? Uh, isotope.com. Waves.com. It's been fascinating chat, guys. Thanks so much. No worries. I'm off to go get my $1 special. Bye. Goodbye. Wipe the tear, baby, from your eye. Though it's hard to part, I know. I'll be tickled to death to go. Don't cry, don't sigh. There's a silver lining in the sky. Bonsoir, old thing, cheerio, chin chin, na poo, toodaloo, goodbye.